Underground, Part Two, from Notes from the Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Newfeld. Seven. But these are all golden dreams. Oh, tell me, who was it first announced? Who was it first proclaimed that man only does nasty things because he does not know his own interests, and that if he were enlightened, if his eyes were opened to his real normal interests, man would at once cease to do nasty things, would at once become good and noble, because, being enlightened and understanding his real advantage, he would seek his own advantage in the good and nothing else and we all know that not one man can consciously act against his own interests. Consequently, so to say, through necessity, he would begin doing good. Oh, the babe! Oh, the pure, innocent child! Why, in the first place, when in all these thousands of years has there been a time when man has acted only from his own interest? what is to be done with the millions of facts that bear witness that men consciously that is fully understanding their real interests have left them in the background and have rushed headlong on another path to meet peril and danger compelled to this course by nobody and by nothing but as it were simply disliking the beaten track and have obstinately wilfully struck out another difficult absurd way seeking it almost in the darkness so i suppose this obstinacy and perversity were pleasanter to them than any advantage advantage what is advantage and will you take it upon yourself to define with perfect accuracy in what the advantage of man consists and what if it so happens that a man's advantage sometimes not only may but even must consist in his desiring in certain cases what is harmful to himself and not advantageous and if so if there can be such a case the whole principle falls into dust what do you think are there such cases you laugh laugh away gentlemen but only answer me have men's advantages been reckoned up with perfect certainty are there not some which not only have not been included but cannot possibly be included under any classification you see you gentlemen have to the best of my knowledge taken your whole register of human advantages from the averages of statistical figures and politico-economical formulas your advantages are prosperity wealth freedom peace and so on and so on so that the man who should for instance go openly and knowingly in opposition to all that list would to your thinking and indeed mine too of course be an obscurantist or an absolute madman would not he but you know this is what is surprising why does it so happen that all these statisticians sages and lovers of humanity when they reckon up human advantages invariably leave out one they don't even take it into their reckoning in the form in which it should be taken and the whole reckoning depends upon that it would be no greater matter they would simply have to take it this advantage and add it to the list but the trouble is that this strange advantage does not fall under any classification and is not in place in any list i have a friend for instance 
Ah, gentlemen, but of course he is your friend too, and indeed there is no one, no one to whom he is not a friend. When he prepares for any undertaking, this gentleman immediately explains to you elegantly and clearly exactly how he must act in accordance with the laws of reason and truth. What is more, he will talk to you with excitement and passion of the true normal interests of man. With irony he will upbraid the short-sighted fools who do not understand their own interests, nor the true significance of virtue. And within a quarter of an hour, without any sudden outside provocation, but simply through something inside him which is stronger than all his interests, he will go off on quite a different tack, that is, act in direct opposition to what he has just been saying about himself, in opposition to the laws of reason, in opposition to his own advantage, in fact, in opposition to everything. I warn you that my friend is a compound personality, and therefore it is difficult to blame him as an individual. The fact is, gentlemen, it seems there must really exist something that is dearer to almost every man than his greatest advantages, or, not to be illogical, there is a most dangerous advantage, the very one omitted of which we spoke just now, which is more important and more advantageous than all other advantages for the sake of which a man, if necessary, is ready to act in opposition to all laws, that is, in opposition to reason, honour, peace, prosperity, in fact, in opposition to all those excellent and useful things, if only he can attain that fundamental, most advantageous advantage which is dearer to him than all. Yes, but it's advantage all the same, you will retort. But excuse me. I'll make the point clear, and it is not a case of playing upon words. What matters is that this advantage is remarkable from the very fact that it breaks down all other classifications, and continually shatters every system constructed by lovers of mankind for the benefit of mankind. In fact, it upsets everything. But before I mention this advantage to you, I want to compromise myself personally, and therefore I boldly declare that all these fine systems, all these theories for explaining to mankind their real normal interests, in order that inevitably striving to pursue these interests they may at once become good and noble, are, in my opinion, so far, mere logical exercises. Yes, logical exercises. Why, to maintain this theory of the regeneration of mankind by means of the pursuit of his own advantage is to my mind almost the same thing, as to affirm, for instance, following Buckle, that through civilization mankind becomes softer and consequently less bloodthirsty and less fitted for warfare. Logically, it does seem to follow from his arguments, but man has such a predilection for systems and abstract deductions that he is ready to distort the truth intentionally, he is ready to deny the evidence of his senses only to justify his logic. I take this example because it is the most glaring instance of it. Only look about you. Blood is being spilt in streams, and in the merriest way, as though it were champagne. Take the whole of the nineteenth century in which Buckle lived. Take Napoleon, the great and also the present one. Take North America, the eternal union. Take the farce of Schleswig-Holstein. 
and what is it that civilization softens in us the only gain of civilization for mankind is the greater capacity for variety of sensations and absolutely nothing more and through the development of this many-sidedness man may come to finding enjoyment in bloodshed in fact this has already happened to him have you noticed that it is the most civilized gentlemen who have been the subtlest slaughterers to whom the attilas and stangarazines could not hold a candle and if they are not so conspicuous as the attilas and the stankarazines it is simply because they are so often met with are so ordinary and have become so familiar to us in any case civilization has made mankind if not more bloodthirsty at least more vilely and more loathsomely bloodthirsty in old days he saw justice in bloodshed and with his conscience at peace exterminated those he thought proper now we do think bloodshed abominable and yet we engage in this abomination and with more energy than ever which is worse decide that for yourselves they say that cleopatra excuse an instance from roman history was fond of sticking gold pins into her slave girl's breasts and derived gratification from their screams and writhings you will say that that was in the comparatively barbarous times that these are barbarous times too because also comparatively speaking pins are stuck in even now that though a man has now learned to see more clearly than in barbarous ages he is still far from having learnt to act as reason and science would dictate but yet you are fully convinced that he will be sure to learn when he gets rid of certain old bad habits and when common sense and science have completely re-educated human nature and turned it in a normal direction you are confident that then man will cease from intentional error and will so to say be compelled not to want to set his will against his normal interests that is not all then you say science itself will teach man though to my mind it's a superfluous luxury that he never has really had any caprice or will of his own and that he himself is something of the nature of a piano key or the stop of an organ and that there are besides things called the laws of nature so that everything he does is not done by his willing it but is done of itself by the laws of nature consequently we have only to discover these laws of nature and man will no longer have to answer for his actions and life will become exceedingly easy for him all human actions will then of course be tabulated according to these laws mathematically like tables of logarithms up to one hundred and eight thousand and entered in an index or better still there would be published certain edifying works of the nature of encyclopedic lexicons in which everything will be so clearly calculated and explained that there will be no more incidents or adventures in the world then this is all what you say new economic relations will be established already made and worked out with mathematical exactitude so that every possible question will vanish in the twinkling of an eye simply because every possible answer to it will be provided then the palace of crystal will be built then in fact those will be halcyon days of course there is no guaranteeing this is my comment 
that it will not be for instance frightfully dull then for what will one have to do when everything will be calculated and tabulated but on the other hand everything will be extraordinarily rational of course boredom may lead you to anything it is boredom sets one sticking golden pins into people but all that would not matter what is bad this is my comment again is that i dare say people will be thankful for the gold pins then man is stupid you know phenomenally stupid or rather he is not at all stupid but he is so ungrateful that you could not find another like him in all creation i for instance would not be in the least surprised if all of a sudden apropos of nothing in the midst of general prosperity a gentleman with an ignoble or rather with a reactionary and ironical countenance were to arise and putting his arms akimbo say to us all i say gentlemen hadn't we better kick over the whole show and scatter rationalism to the winds simply to send these logarithms to the devil and to enable us to live once more at our own sweet foolish will that again would not matter but what is annoying is that he would be sure to find followers such is the nature of man and all that for the most foolish reason which one would think was hardly worth mentioning that is that man everywhere and at all times whoever he may be has preferred to act as he chose and not in the least as his reason and advantage dictated and one may choose what is contrary to one's own interests and sometimes one positively ought that is my idea one's own free unfettered choice one's own caprice however wild it may be one's own fancy worked up at times to frenzy is that very most advantageous advantage which we have overlooked which comes under no classification and against which all systems and theories are continually being shattered to atoms and how do these wiseacres know that man wants a normal a virtuous choice what has made them conceive that man must want a rationally advantageous choice what man wants is simply independent choice whatever that independence may cost and wherever it may lead and choice of course the devil only knows what choice eight ha 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 but you know there is no such thing as choice in reality say what you like you will interpose with a chuckle science has succeeded in so far analyzing man that we know already that choice and what is called freedom of will is nothing else than stay gentlemen i meant to begin with that myself i confess i was rather frightened i was just going to say that the devil only knows what choice depends on and that perhaps that was a very good thing but i remembered the teaching of science and pulled myself up and here you have begun upon it indeed if there really is some day discovered a formula for all our desires and caprices that is an explanation of what they depend on by what laws they arise how they develop what they are aiming at in one case and in another and so on that is a real mathematical formula then most likely man will at once cease to feel desire indeed he will be certain to for who would want to choose by rule 
Besides, he will at once be transformed from a human being into an organ-stop or something of the sort. For what is a man without desires, without free will, and without choice, if not a stop in an organ? What do you think? Let us reckon the chances. Can such a thing happen or not? Hmm, you decide. Our choice is usually mistaken from a false view of our advantage. We sometimes choose absolute nonsense because in our foolishness we see in that nonsense the easiest means for attaining a supposed advantage. But when all that is explained and worked out on paper, which is perfectly possible, for it is contemptible and senseless to suppose that some laws of nature man will never understand, then, certainly, so-called desires will no longer exist. For if a desire should come into conflict with reason, we shall then reason and not desire, because it will be impossible retaining our reason to be senseless in our desires, and in that way knowingly act against reason and desire to injure ourselves. And as all choice and reasoning can be really calculated, because there will some day be discovered the laws of our so-called free will, so, joking apart, there may one day be something like a table constructed of them, so that we really shall choose in accordance with it. If, for instance, some day they calculate and prove to me that I made a long nose at someone, because I could not help making a long nose at him, and that I had to do it in that particular way, what freedom is left to me, especially if I am a learned man and have taken my degree somewhere? then I should be able to calculate my whole life for thirty years beforehand. In short, if this could be arranged, there would be nothing left for us to do. Anyway, we should have to understand that. And, in fact, we ought unwearyingly to repeat to ourselves that at such and such a time, and in such and such circumstances, nature does not ask our leave, that we have got to take her as she is, and not fashion her to suit our fancy and if we really aspire to formulas and tables of rules and well even to the chemical retort there's no help for it we must accept the retort too or else it will be accepted without our consent yes but here i come to a stop gentlemen you must excuse me for being over philosophical it's the result of forty years underground allow me to indulge my fancy you see gentlemen reason is an excellent thing there's no disputing that but reason is nothing but reason and satisfies only the rational side of man's nature while will is a manifestation of the whole life that is of the whole human life including reason and all the impulses and although our life in this manifestation of it is often worthless yet it is life and not simply extracting square roots here i for instance quite naturally want to live in order to satisfy all my capacities for life and not simply my capacity for reasoning that is not simply one-twentieth of my capacity for life what does reason know reason only knows what it has succeeded in learning some things perhaps it will never learn that is a poor comfort but why not say so frankly and human nature acts as a whole with everything that is in it consciously or unconsciously and even if it goes wrong it lives 
i suspect gentlemen that you are looking at me with compassion you tell me again that an enlightened and developed man such in short as the future man will be cannot consciously desire anything disadvantage to himself that that can be proved mathematically i thoroughly agree it can by mathematics but i repeat for the hundredth time there is one case one only when man may consciously purposely desire what is injurious to himself what is stupid very stupid simply in order to have the right to desire for himself even what is very stupid and not to be bound by an obligation to desire only what is sensible of course this very stupid thing this caprice of ours may be in reality gentlemen more advantageous for us than anything else on earth especially in certain cases and in particular it may be more advantageous than any advantage even when it does us obvious harm and contradicts the soundest conclusions of our reason concerning our advantage for in any circumstances it preserves for us what is most precious and most important that is our personality our individuality some you see maintain that this really is the most precious thing for mankind choice can of course if it chooses be in agreement with reason and especially if this be not absurd but kept within bounds it is profitable and sometimes even praiseworthy but very often and even most often choice is utterly and stubbornly opposed to reason and do you know that that too is profitable sometimes even praiseworthy gentlemen let us suppose that man is not stupid indeed one cannot refuse to suppose that if only from the one consideration that if man is stupid then who is wise but if he is not stupid he is monstrously ungrateful phenomenally ungrateful in fact i believe that the best definition of man is the ungrateful biped but that is not all that is not his worst defect his worst defect is his perpetual moral obliquity perpetual from the days of the flood to the schleswig-holstein period moral obliquity and consequently lack of good sense for it has long been accepted that lack of good sense is due to no other cause than moral obliquity but put it to the test and cast your eyes upon the history of mankind what will you see is it a grand spectacle grand if you like take the colossus of rhodes for instance that's worth something with good reason mr anievsky testifies of it that some say that it is the work of man's hands while others maintain that it has been created by nature herself is it many-coloured maybe it is many-coloured too if one takes the dress uniforms military and civilian of all peoples in all ages that alone is worth something and if you take the undress uniforms you will never get to the end of it no historian would be equal to the job is it monotonous maybe it's monotonous too it's fighting and fighting they are fighting now they fought first and they fought last you will admit that it is almost too monotonous in short one may say anything about the history of the world anything that might enter the most disordered imagination the only thing one can't say is that it's rational 
the very word sticks in one's throat and indeed this is the odd thing that is continually happening there are continually turning up in life moral and rational persons sages and lovers of humanity who make it their object to live all their lives as morally and rationally as possible to be so to speak a light to their neighbours simply in order to show them that it is possible to live morally and rationally in this world and yet we all know that those very people sooner or later have been false to themselves playing some queer trick often a most unseemly one now i ask you what can be expected of man since he is a being endowed with strange qualities shower upon him every earthly blessing drown him in a sea of happiness so that nothing but bubbles of bliss can be seen on the surface give him economic prosperity such that he should have nothing else to do but sleep eat cakes and busy himself with the continuation of his species and even then out of sheer ingratitude sheer spite man would play you some nasty trick he would even risk his cakes and would deliberately desire the most fatal rubbish the most uneconomical absurdity simply to introduce into all this positive good sense his fatal fantastic element it is just his fantastic dreams his vulgar folly that he will desire to retain simply in order to prove to himself as though that were so necessary that men still are men and not the keys of a piano which the laws of nature threaten to control so completely that soon one will be able to desire nothing but by the calendar and that is not all even if man really were nothing but a piano key even if this were proved to him by natural science and mathematics even then he would not become reasonable but would purposely do something perverse out of simple ingratitude simply to gain his point and if he does not find means he will contrive destruction and chaos will contrive sufferings of all sorts only to gain his point he will launch a curse upon the world and as only man can curse it is his privilege the primary distinction between him and other animals may be by his curse alone he will attain his object that is convince himself that he is a man and not a piano key if you say that all this too can be calculated and tabulated chaos and darkness and curses so that the mere possibility of calculating it all beforehand would stop it all and reason would reassert itself then man would purposely go mad in order to be rid of reason and gain his point i believe in it i answer for it for the whole work of man really seems to consist in nothing but proving to himself every minute that he is a man and not a piano key it may be at the cost of his skin it may be by cannibalism and this being so can one help being tempted to rejoice that it is not yet come off and that desire still depends on something we don't know you can scream at me that is if you condescend to do so that no one is touching my free will that all they are concerned with is that my free will should of itself of its own free will coincide with my own normal interests with the laws of nature and arithmetic good heavens gentlemen 
what sort of free will is left when we come to tabulation and arithmetic when it will all be a case of twice two make four twice two makes four without my will as if free will meant that nine gentlemen i am joking and i know myself that my jokes are not brilliant but you know one can take everything as a joke i am perhaps jesting against the grain gentlemen i am tormented by questions answer them for me you for instance want to cure men of their old habits and reform their will in accordance with science and good sense but how do you know not only that it is possible but also that it is desirable to reform man in that way and what leads you to the conclusion that man's inclinations need reforming in short how do you know that such a reformation will be a benefit to man and to go to the root of the matter why are you so positively convinced that not to act against his real normal interests guaranteed by the conclusions of reason and arithmetic is certainly always advantageous for man and must always be a law for mankind so far you know this is only your supposition it may be the law of logic but not the law of humanity you think gentlemen perhaps that i am mad allow me to defend myself i agree that man is preeminently a creative animal predestined to strive consciously for an object and to engage in engineering that is incessantly and eternally to make new roads wherever they may lead but the reason why he wants sometimes to go off at a tangent may just be that he is predestined to make the road and perhaps too that however stupid the direct practical man might be the thought sometimes will occur to him that the road almost always does lead somewhere and that the destination it leads to is less important than the process of making it and that the chief thing is to save the well-conducted child from despising engineering and so giving way to the fatal idleness which as we all know is the mother of all the vices man likes to make roads and to create that is a fact beyond dispute but why has he such a passionate love for destruction and chaos also tell me that but on that point i want to say a couple of words myself may it not be that he loves chaos and destruction there can be no disputing that he does sometimes love it because he is instinctively afraid of attaining his object in completing the edifice he is constructing who knows perhaps he only loves that edifice from a distance and is by no means in love with it at close quarters perhaps he only loves building it and does not want to live in it but believe it when completed for the use of les animaux domestiques such as the ants the sheep and so on now the ants have quite a different taste they have a marvellous edifice of that pattern which endures for ever the ant heap with the ant heap the respectable race of ants began and with the ant heap they will probably end which does the greatest credit to their perseverance and good sense but man is a frivolous and incongruous creature and perhaps like a chess player loves the process of the game not the end of it and who knows there is no saying with certainty perhaps the only goal on earth to which mankind is striving lies in this incessant process of attaining in other words in life itself 
and not in the thing to be attained which must always be expressed as a formula as positive as twice two makes four and such positiveness is not life gentlemen but is the beginning of death anyway man has always been afraid of this mathematical certainty and i am afraid of it now granted that man does nothing but seek that mathematical certainty he traverses oceans sacrifices his life in the quest but to succeed really to find it dreads i assure you he feels that when he has found it there will be nothing for him to look for when workmen have finished their work-day they do at least receive their pay they go to the tavern then they are taken to the police station and there is occupation for a week but where can man go anyway one can observe a certain awkwardness about him when he has attained such objects he loves the process of attaining but does not quite like to have attained and that of course is very absurd in fact man is a comical creature there seems to be a kind of jest in it all but yet mathematical certainty is after all something insufferable twice two makes four seems to me simply a piece of insolence twice two makes four is a pert coxcomb who stands with arms akimbo barring your path and spitting i admit that twice two makes four is an excellent thing but if we are to give everything its due twice two makes five is sometimes a very charming thing too and why are you so firmly so triumphantly convinced that only the normal and the positive in other words only what is conducive to welfare is for the advantage of man is not reason in error as regards advantage does not man perhaps love something besides well-being perhaps he is just as fond of suffering perhaps suffering is just a greater benefit to him as well-being man is sometimes extraordinarily passionately in love with suffering and that is a fact there is no need to appeal to universal history to prove that only ask yourself if you are a man and have lived at all as far as my personal opinion is concerned to care only for well-being seems to me positively ill-bred whether it's good or bad it is sometimes very pleasant too to smash things i hold no brief for suffering nor for well-being either i am standing for my caprice and for its being guaranteed to me when necessary suffering should be out of place in vaudevilles for instance i know that in the palace of crystal it is unthinkable suffering means doubt negation and what would be the good of a palace of crystal if there could be any doubt about it and yet i think man will never renounce real suffering that is destruction and chaos why suffering is the sole origin of consciousness though i did lay it down at the beginning that consciousness is the greatest misfortune for man yet i know man prizes it and would not give it up for any satisfaction consciousness for instance is infinitely superior to twice two makes four once you have mathematical certainty there is nothing left to do or to understand there will be nothing left but to bottle up your five senses and plunge into contemplation while if you stick to consciousness even though the same result is attained you can at least flog yourself at times and that will at any rate liven you up 
Reactionary as it is, corporal punishment is better than nothing. 10. You believe in a palace of crystal that can never be destroyed, a palace that which one will not be able to put out one's tongue or make a long nose on the sly, and perhaps that is just why I am afraid of this edifice, that it is of crystal and can never be destroyed, and that one cannot put one's tongue out at it even on the sly. You see, if it were not a palace but a hen-house, I might creep into it to avoid getting wet and yet i would not call the hen-house a palace out of gratitude to it for keeping me dry you laugh and say that in such circumstances a hen-house is as good as a mansion yes i answer if one had to live simply to keep out of the rain but what is to be done if i have taken it into my head that that is not the only object in life and that if one must live one had better live in a mansion that is my choice, my desire. You will only eradicate it when you have changed my preference. Well, do change it. Allure me with something else. Give me another ideal. But meanwhile, I will not take a hen-house for a mansion. The palace of crystal may be an idle dream. It may be that it is inconsistent with the laws of nature, and that I have invented it only through my own stupidity through the old-fashioned irrational habits of my generation but what does it matter to me that it is inconsistent that makes no difference since it exists in my desires or rather exists as long as my desires exist perhaps you are laughing again laugh away i will put up with any mockery rather than pretend that i am satisfied when i am hungry i know anyway that i will not be put off with a compromise with a recurring zero simply because it is consistent with the laws of nature and actually exists. I will not accept as the crown of my desires a block of buildings with tenements for the poor on a lease of a thousand years, and perhaps with a signboard of a dentist hanging out. Destroy my desires, eradicate my ideals, show me something better, and I will follow you. You will say, perhaps, that it is not worth your trouble but in that case i can give you the same answer we are discussing things seriously but if you won't deign to give me your attention i will drop your acquaintance i can retreat into my underground hole but while i am alive and have desires i would rather my hand were withered off than bring one brick to such a building don't remind me that I have just rejected the palace of crystal for the sole reason that one cannot put out one's tongue at it. I did not say because I am so fond of putting my tongue out. Perhaps the thing I resented was that of all your edifices there has not been one at which one could not put out one's tongue. On the contrary, I would let my tongue be cut off out of gratitude if things could be so arranged that I should lose all desire to put it out. It is not my fault that things cannot be so arranged, and that one must be satisfied with model flats. Then why am I made with such desires? Can I have been constructed simply in order to come to the conclusion that all my construction is a cheat? Can this be my whole purpose? I do not believe it. But do you know what? I am convinced that we underground folk ought to be kept on a curb that we may sit forty years underground without speaking, 
when we do come out into the light of day and break out we talk and talk and talk eleven the long and short of it is gentlemen that it is better to do nothing better conscious inertia and so hurrah for underground though i have said that i envy the normal man to the last drop of my bile yet i shall not care to be in his place such as he is now though i shall not cease envying him no no anyway the underground life is more advantageous there at any rate one can oh but even now i am lying i am lying because i know myself that it is not underground that is better but something different quite different for which i am thirsting but which i cannot find damn underground i will tell you another thing that would be better and that is if i myself believed in anything of what i have just written i swear to you gentlemen there is not one thing not one word of what i have written that i really believe that is i believe it perhaps but at the same time i feel and suspect that i am lying like a cobbler then why have you written all this you will say to me i ought to put you underground for forty years without anything to do and then come to you in your cellar to find out what stage you have reached how can a man be left with nothing to do for forty years isn't that shameful isn't that humiliating you will say perhaps wagging your heads contemptuously you thirst for life and try to settle the problems of life by a logical tangle and how persistent how insolent are your sallies and at the same time what a scare you are in you talk nonsense and are pleased with it you say impudent things and are in continual alarm and apologizing for them you declare that you are afraid of nothing and at the same time try to ingratiate yourself in our good opinion you declare that you are gnashing your teeth and at the same time you try to be witty so as to amuse us you know that your witticisms are not witty but you are evidently well satisfied with your literary value you may perhaps have really suffered but you have no respect for your own suffering you may have sincerity but you have no modesty out of your pettiest vanity you expose your sincerity to publicity and ignominy you doubtlessly mean to say something but hide your last word through fear because you have not the resolution to utter it and only have a cowardly impudence you boast of consciousness but you are not sure of your ground for though your mind works yet your heart is darkened and corrupt and you cannot have a full genuine consciousness without a pure heart and how intrusive you are how you insist and grimace lies 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 of course i have myself made up all the things you say that too is from underground i have been for forty years listening to you through a crack under the floor i have invented them myself there was nothing else i could invent it is no wonder that i have learnt it by heart and it has taken a literary form but can you really be so credulous as to think that i will print all this and give it to you to read too and another problem why do i call you gentlemen why do i address you as though you really were my readers such confessions as i intend to make are never printed nor given to other people to read anyway 
I am not strong-minded enough for that, and I don't see why I should be. But, you see, a fancy has occurred to me, and I want to realize it at all costs. Let me explain. Every man has reminiscences which he would not tell to every one, but only to his friends. He has other matters in his mind which he would not reveal even to his friends, but only to himself, and that in secret. But there are other things which a man is afraid to tell even to himself, and every decent man has a number of such things stored away in his mind. The more decent he is, the greater the number of such things in his mind. Anyway, I have only lately determined to remember some of my early adventures. Till now I have always avoided them, even with a certain uneasiness. Now, when I am not only recalling them, but have actually decided to write an account of them, I want to try the experiment whether one can, even with oneself, be perfectly open and not take fright at the whole truth. I will observe, in parentheses, that Heine says that a true autobiography is almost an impossibility, and that man is bound to lie about himself. He considers that Rousseau certainly told lies about himself and his confessions, and even intentionally lied out of vanity. I am convinced that Heine is right. I quite understand how sometimes one may, out of sheer vanity, attribute regular crimes to oneself, and indeed I can very well conceive that kind of vanity. But Heine judged of people who made their confessions to the public. I write only for myself and I wish to declare once and for all that if I write as though I were addressing readers, that is simply because it is easier for me to write in that form. It is a form, an empty form. I shall never have readers. I have made this plain already. I don't wish to be hampered by any restrictions in the compilation of my notes. I shall not attempt any system or method. I will jot things down as I remember them. But here, perhaps, someone will catch at the word and ask me, If you really don't reckon on readers, why do you make such compacts with yourself, and on paper too? That is, that you won't attempt any system or method, that you jot things down as you remember them, and so on and so on. Why are you explaining? Why do you apologize? Well, there it is, I answer. There is a whole psychology in this, though. Perhaps it is simply that I am a coward, and perhaps that I purposely imagine an audience before me in order that I may be more dignified while I write. There are perhaps thousands of reasons. Again, what is the object precisely in writing? If it is not to be for the benefit of the public, why should I not simply recall these incidents in my own mind without putting them on paper? Quite so, but yet it is more imposing on paper. There is something more impressive in it. I shall be better able to criticize myself and improve my style. Besides, I shall perhaps obtain actual relief from writing. Today, for instance, I am particularly oppressed by one memory of a distant past. It came back vividly to my mind a few days ago, and has remained haunting me like an annoying tune that one cannot get rid of. And yet I must get rid of it somehow. I have hundreds of such reminiscences, but at times some one stands out from the hundred and oppresses me. For some reason I believe that if I write it down I should get rid of it. Why not try? 
Besides, I am bored, and I never have anything to do. Writing will be a sort of work. They say work makes man kind-hearted and honest. Well, here's a chance for me, anyway. Snow is falling today, yellow and dingy. It fell yesterday, too, and a few days ago. I fancy it is the wet snow that has reminded me of that incident which I cannot shake off now. And so let it be a story apropos of the falling snow. End of Underground Part 2